0: Hi, and welcome to Holy Podcast. In light of the Christmas holiday, I thought I would share about the greatest love story that ever happened. And for those of you that are Christians, we're going to talk about Christmas. Um, But for those of you that are new, we're going to talk about why Christmas is such a big deal to Christians Um, and how we all have something in common um with this love story so for those of you that have that have been christians for a little while maybe a long time hopefully there's still stuff that's interesting in here to you because i'm going to talk about some history that goes through here and um for those of you that are new i'm going to try and do something a little different today i'm going to slow down and i'm going to define some of the terms that um are talked about in the bible um so it's not so much Christianese or um, you know, church speak, but just kind of really talking about what it is so that if you haven't heard this before, if it's new to you, um, you can kind of see where uh, we're coming from. So buckle up and we are gonna talk about why Christmas is such a big deal. Um, it's my personal favorite holiday. Um, I like celebrating it before Thanksgiving. Um, I have family members that don't appreciate that so much or my enthusiasm. Um, But for me, it is such a point of gratitude. So in talking about the greatest love story that ever happened, um, we have to go back all the way back to the first people. So we're going to talk about in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and in doing so, he made this perfect environment, uh, almost a little aquarium-like, that he built for all of the animals on the earth, and and he made people, and he put people in charge of the animals. The thing that defined people as different than any other animal at that time is that People were made in God's image. So if nothing else, just honoring the image that mirrors God um, or remembering that, that we're made, should let you know how special you are. And in building this environment, God said you can take care of the animals and eat from all of these things, the garden, the trees, everything. But he's like, there's one thing, I only have one rule, one don't, and it's don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it says that God would visit, or we can assume that after this temptation happens, I'm going to fast forward for just a second, that God went to visit or have communion or relationship with Adam and Eve in the evenings, in the cool of the evening in the garden. So it's probably a regular part of their relationship. But in Genesis, in the Bible, it talks about the temptation. And it says that Satan came in the form of a serpent, and he came to tempt them. And he asked Eve, is it true you can't eat any of this fruit? And she said, no, of course we can We just can't eat of the one tree. And then because God said, don't eat it, maybe Adam in relaying the information said, don't even touch it. She said, we can't even touch it lest we die. We'll die. And of course, the way most temptation works, the thing that gets us over the barrier is our reason. And so he kind of reasons with her and says, you'll die? It's like, you won't die. You'll just, God knows you'll just be like him, and you know the difference between good and and evil. And it says she saw that the fruit was good to look at. It was pretty to look at. It was good to eat. And she hungered for that knowledge. I think how many times are we in a hurry to grow up? And in doing so, there's this loss of innocence, It's not new that we do that. Eve was one of the first ones. And so she ate it and she gave it to Adam and he ate it. He didn't say no, he ate it. And instantly when they did, their eyes were open and they felt shame. They instantly knew they were naked. And so they began to sew leaves together to cover themselves And when this happens, we see that God comes in the evening again to visit with them. And I I love this. God, who is all-knowing and sees everything and has made everything, asks a question. I don't think that God asks questions because he doesn't know the answer. So he comes to the garden, and instead of it being like, You know, like when we come home, we have our kids come and greet us. Hey, you're home. Or maybe a pet if you don't have kids, they come to the door to greet you. Well, I imagine it was kind of the same. But this time, Adam and Eve were nowhere in sight. And so God said, Where are you? And Adam answered and he said, I was naked. And so I was ashamed. And God again asks, Who told you you were naked? So again, this is a chance for Adam to kind of come clean. And he's like, he said, did you eat that fruit? And they fessed up. But of course, when he asks Adam about it, Adam goes, "Uh, it was that woman you gave me. Ergo, your fault, God. You made her. (laughs) And then he asked Eve about it. And she said, the snake tricked me. So instantly, their lives were changed because they disobeyed God. This was a sin. So the definition of sin or what, co- what sin is, is it's a rebellion or a disobedience. That co- and it causes separation uh, between us and God. It, it severs that relationship. And <clears throat> there are consequences for the things we do. Just like if you speed, you get a ticket, there's a consequence for that, right? You may have a fine. Um, There are other ones, other laws that are broken, and there are consequences for those. Some worse, some not so bad. Well, in this, though, there was God dealt with them, and he had pronounced a curse on them for this. And the first thing we see is when God pronounces this curse, the first thing is he turns to the serpent, and he says um, that basically you'll crawl on your belly, you're cursed above all animals. And he says, I will cause a hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And I will, and he, I'm sorry, the people, will strike your head And you will strike his heel. This is like our first kind of glimpse of God's plan of redemption. Basically, how can he redeem this? So, or or, to recover the situation, right? And to rescue the people from their sin. So this is a hint that we see, and this will be uh, the first hint of Christ. God's son so this is the first part of that hint and then from there on out they the other part of the curse is that women will have labor pains guys will like have to work off the sweat of their brow there's weeds all of that stuff comes from the fall right and in his mercy he looks at the situation and, he says, well, first he covers their sin. This is when we see the first sacrifice to cover sin. He takes two animals, which are sacrificed, to make skins for them, to make clothing for them. And he says what happens in his mercy. He gets. He looks at this and says, if they eat from the tree of life that's in the center of the garden, then they'll live like this forever, essentially. And in my opinion, this was an act of mercy. He kicks them out of the garden. Because if he doesn't, they will live for eternity in their sin, in their separation from God. So in order to redeem or make new the situation, he kicks them out. And he places... A seraphim with this, with this uh, sword, this flaming sword, at the entrance of the garden, and men or people must live in separation from God from there on out, and this is where we begin to see the longing. God longed to have relationship with people, and He would come to the garden to be with them and visit with them, but also you know, we are made to or with a longing to be in a relationship with God and to be back in his presence. And I think if we're all honest deep down, we would see how we fill our lives with these different things, whether it's um, positive things, family, friendships, um, careers, sports, um, sometimes, you know, some of these things can get rather negative, addictions, All of these things are to fill that longing that we were made for. And the sacrifice, the first sacrifice we see to cover our uh, our sin, you see with with the clothing that was made. And so this is when sin enters the life of people. And now in the book of Romans this is in chapter five. I'm just going to keep the, the whole chapter is really good, but kind of explaining where we were versus how, what our overall rescue mission is um, from Christ is it says, yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation or basically um, to be found guilty brought condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a relationship, a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. And be but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So this is, this fulfills the law or the structure that God has set up of morality. So we live in a fallen world. And because of this curse that God pronounced on Adam and Eve, the consequence was for the whole world. So, and it, you know, we would agree that there are bad things that happen, or we know about crime or, or people that get hurt, murdered, theft, lies, all of these things are, most people would agree, are not good. And because of it, it has subjected the whole world to this judgment and to this curse, right? And we, uh, we as humans and the whole world long, as we were talking about, to be in a relationship with God. And in Romans 8, 18 to 22, it says, yet we suffer now is, oh, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly, or it says in some translation says groans in anticipation for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are against him. Its will, all creation, was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So there's a longing for things to be set right, to be redeemed. To be made new or to be rescued from this curse. So in this longing, we, you know, God didn't want to separate us, but also because he's righteous, there has to be a way back for us. And in that plan, it was to send us his one and only son to rescue us. And so that scripture that I read a few minutes ago about Adam messing up and sinning. And like it made all these other people to sin the way he writes, it is sending his son who instead of being disobedient is perfectly obedient. And what this does, this rescue mission is the equivalent of remember I talked about speeding tickets. If you had a bunch of tickets or a fine or whatever it is and it's due like it's a judgment against you but if somebody comes and pays that fine for you instead of you and they let you go free that's kind of the equivalent of what happens here is though we are imperfect christ comes to set us free from those things and So Christmas is a big deal because we are celebrating this love and this sacrificial love um, that redeems us. It's celebrating the birthday and the way back that we could have a relationship with God. And the one thing to think about when we talk about sin versus love is Sin is a rebellion and a disobedience. It's a selfishness and it, it is a consuming thing. We can see people consumed by sin. Um, for instance, we have lots of people that have issues with addiction for alcohol, drugs, pornography, maybe just social media, people that always want to be on there and they're like, Ooh, I need that affirmation. Um, Those things can consume our life and we can lose relationships. We can lose jobs. We can lose all kinds of things because of it. So this is just kind of versus like when we look at love, love is sacrificing. It breathes out. Where sin sucks in, love breathes out. It shares. It flows out of of God. And hopefully us. Um, so this is kind of the contrasting of the two principles. So, as humanity goes on from the garden, along the way, there are people that do seek relationships with God, and God gives us these hints about him coming. Um, we see he gives prophets who give these different signs, like he t- tells us as a sign of the Messiah, he will come forth born from a virgin and his name will be Emmanuel, which Emmanuel translated or the meaning is God with us. This is the first time we ever see, you know, a lot of people that study theology. Most people, or I'm sorry, most religions are people serving a deity and they're unsure how to reach him. But this is the first time, time we ever see everything stood on its head because we see a God who does not have to, that lays everything down to come and be with us and rescue us. So it's a very um, reverse order of what we see against the rest of the world. It's quite a contrast. So we see the, the virgin birth foretold, we also see these different ones where he'll be called Comforter. And even later, we'll see with some of the witnesses that they use a prophecy. There's a prophecy out of Micah 5.2. I think 2 Samuel 5.2 also talks about where the Messiah will be born. So now that we've covered that, we're going to talk about the history itself of Christ, which is super cool. I love that there are other historic accounts of Christ and who he is. So now we're going to cover the witness list in our witness list. We have John the Baptist. He is Jesus's cousin. His dad is Zechariah, who is a priest uh, for the Abijah clan. And his wife's name is Elizabeth and she is from the house of Aaron. We have the other uh, other different witnesses. We have Herod and his advisors. Um, he's the king of Judea at that time. He was confirmed by the Roman Empire. So since we're talking about the Roman Empire, Augustus, Octavius, was the the first emperor of Rome, I believe. Well, there's Julius Caesar before him. But this is the first like emperor. And he also knows who Herod is, which he has commentary about him. We'll get into that. Um, and then we have shepherds. So we're looking at the way other end of the spectrum as far as if we're going to talk about class systems. These are um, poor, lowly, the unwashed masses <laughs> um, that witness Christ's birth. We have Simeon and Anna, and Ed, I'm sorry, and Anna, who were prophets in the church that worshiped. Um, and we also have Josephus, he's a historian who records a bunch of stuff about um, Christ's life. So the first part of the story. We're going to get into begins before Jesus, and it actually begins with Zechariah. So it was Zechariah's turn um, to go and do his priestly duties at the temple, and you did it once a year. Like they would kind of draw straws for your name, and once your name was selected, like that was it. That was your duty for the year, and. He went in, he had the the washing ceremony and those kinds of things. And he went into the temple and he was standing to the right of where the incense was burned. And it says the angel Gabriel came to him and said, hey, you're going to be a father. And he's like, what? I'm an old guy and so is my wife. And her name's Elizabeth. And like basically he's like, how can this be? And he's like, you're going to have a son, and he's totally going to lead the way before the Messiah comes and, like, let people know he's coming. Like, he's going to be, like, the, the guy that goes before. And because Zechariah didn't believe, because he doubted, the angel said, oh, and by the way, now you're not going to speak anymore until the child's born. But also, the child's name is going to be John, which defies um, tradition in that day. Most of the time, um, the son, at least the first one, would be named after his father. So when he came out of the temple, and by the way, just to kind of give you an idea of what it looks like, when a priest would go into the Holy of Holies, like there was a whole cleansing ritual, and his robe had like bells on the bottom so they could hear him moving around, and there was this big curtain that separated where everybody else was and the Holy of Holies. And when you went in there, you had to be very clean because if not, you could be struck dead. Additionally, these guys had a sash. So think of like a robe with an extra, 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 extra long um, tie on it because if he was struck dead, there was no way to go in and retrieve him. So they'd have to like, somebody would be on the other side of that curtain holding on to that sash, listening for the bells. And if they quit, Yeah, they got to pull him out. So side note, sorry, I geeked out for a second, but Zechariah goes in and he comes out and they're like, what happened in there? Like, what did God say? And he couldn't speak. And so when his turn was over, he went home and his wife conceived and they had a child. And Now, we're going to skip around a little bit, and we're going to change locations. Um, And now we're going to talk about Elizabeth, his wife, Zechariah's wife, who has a cousin named Mary. And when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, the angel Gabriel came to Mary. And Gabriel says, Greetings favored above all women. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God, and he and you will conceive a son and name him Jesus. And he will be great and be the king of most high. And Elizabeth was or Mary was puzzled because she said, How can this be? At this point, Mary is engaged to a righteous guy named Joseph. And they had not been together. And so she's quite puzzled. And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And you will conceive a son. What I love is that Mary basically says, she says, so be it unto me. Like just totally that faith that just accepts. And from here, she goes to see Elizabeth. And uh, Elizabeth, when she comes into the house to see her, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and so is the baby within her. The baby jumps for joy, and Elizabeth greets her um, through knowledge that the Holy Spirit gave her, which she basically was like, What should I, you know, how should I be so honored um, to have this favored woman above all women uh, come and see me? And Mary sings this song um, called the Magnificat it's really beautiful. It's in Luke. Um, and it really, uh, glorifies God in there. I uh, really recommend you, you go and read it on at some point. Um, so she has, she goes and stays with Elizabeth until Elizabeth has, uh, John. And so when the birth of John happens, Mary is on her way home on the eighth day after John's birth, is the day of the circumcision and they go to um, do those duties to, to have the circumcision and they ask Elizabeth what's his name and she says John and everybody is like stunned they're like what because everybody usually the tradition is is that the son is named after the father so when they went to ask Zechariah he kind of motioned. he wrote down John And after he he wrote that down, he began to speak again, and there was a great celebration and even a prophecy about John that came forth at that time. So Mary gets home. Now that 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 part is done, Mary gets home, and she goes to tell Joseph. And Joseph is having a bad day. He got home. His Bride comes and tells him that she's pregnant and he knows he didn't do it. So, but because he loves her, he is going to, he was going to put her away. He has the option to publicly shame her. Um, but because he loves her, he was just going to quietly break off the engagement. And he ends up, the God ends up coming and visiting him in a dream. And in this dream, Um, God told him she is a righteous woman, and it is exactly as she has said. So it would be good for you to marry her, and Joseph did. He married her. Now, going to this, this time, some of the other witnesses, our next witness we have is Augustus, the emperor of Rome. Now, In 2 BCE, it was going to be the 750th year of the Roman Empire and the 25th year of Augustus' rule. And they wanted to name him Pater Patriae, which basically is like the father of Rome or the father of fathers. But in order to do so, before he would accept the award, he ordered there be a census. Yes, for taxes, but also... There was like this oath that he wanted people to sign. And so people went back to their um, ho- their home of parentage or, or their historical homes. And it turns out that Joseph is from the house of David. And so that is a royal lineage. Um, and basically these people are signing an oath saying that we're not going to give you any trouble. So that was another piece of this um part of people going. And this time by this time when they go, and this is at the end of one BCE, uh, that these taxes were, were, and the census was, was in place. It was to be done um, the last part of the year so that as the awards came, everything was in order. So Joseph and Mary have to go and register. And she's very, very pregnant. And they get to Bethlehem because that's the old city. And when they get there, there's no place for them to stay. They can't find any guest rooms. And so they end up staying um, essentially in what is a barn. And she delivers there. And they wrap Jesus in swaddling. And they they put him in the manger, which is essentially a trough. And while they're handling, cleaning up and, and all of that, that night outside of the city of Bethlehem appears an angel. And he says, fear not for I bring great news. Basically he says unto you, a King is born. Um, and they said, you'll find him in a manger in Bethlehem wrapped in swaddling. So it's really kind of cool, just um, kind of given reference. It is believed that these, well, let me finish. So after that, all these other angels came in the sky, and the sky was just lit up, and all these guys were like worshiping God, all of these angels. And so when it quit, they said, when, when everything subsided, the shepherds looked at each other and said, we got to go check this out. So a couple of things. So these shepherds are believed to be the shepherds that provided the um, lambs for sacrifice um, at the temple. And the thing about swaddling, there was a tradition of wrapping babies in swaddling. It was a protective kind of thing to do. But also when these guys would bring their lambs for sacrifice Um, it's believed that they also would wrap them in swaddling and carry them in to ensure that nothing happened to them because the sacrifice had to be perfect. It had to be without any kind of spot. It couldn't be lame. Nothing It had to be perfect. And it's almost a foreshadowing of of Christ and what will happen um, later in his life. So these guys go and they check out the story, right? And they find the baby Jesus and they worship. And as they leave, they tell everybody they meet. And it says, all were astonished. Now, what's really cool about this is shepherds, it, as far as like class systems, they were pretty much pretty low. Um, so much so that even their word meant nothing. They could not testify in court um, if there was a hearing. And so here you think, well, why would God reveal um, his an, a, his birth announcement to to these guys? But if you think about it, if you ever like need a service or you need to find somebody who's reliable or find something, word of mouth is always one of the strongest ways. We have social media, and you can't hardly know what to believe with that anymore or or the news it's really hard to know what's the truth but if you know somebody that witnessed something and said i was there i saw it gives a lot more credence and through these shepherds he's able to send the ripples of this birth announcement through society so it's really kind of cool and and the hope that it brings to people is just phenomenal so the next witnesses that we see are Simeon and Anna, and they're both older, and they both have been waiting um, to, well, Simeon has been waiting to meet the Messiah. And on the eighth day after Christ's birth, he's going. Um, they're going to bring him in and do the circumcision for him, which was the custom. And Simeon is led to the temple that day, and God points out to him, he says, see that baby over there? That's him. That's the Messiah. And Simeon is so happy. He goes and he sees Mary and Joseph, and he puts the baby in his arms and begins to rejoice, and he prophesies over him. And at that time, Anna also says she was a prophetess also, and she was in her 80s. She'd only been married for seven years and her husband died. And so she went and lived in the temple and just served in the temple from there on out. And she also bore witness. God, the Holy Spirit also told her that is the Messiah. And she was so excited. And she's like, I always picture her as like the cute grandma that's like, you see that baby there? Look, at, he's the Messiah. He's the hope. But just a cute grandma gushing, you know. Um, and she began to tell everyone also. So the next witnesses, now this happens, they estimate a year and a half, maybe two years after Christ was born, because the word they use for child, when they talk about the, um, these wise men, um, worshiping Jesus, they, they refer to him as a child or the word that kind of means to toddle. And this is actually a set of witnesses. So we have the wise men and Herod, Herod the Great, who's not so great. So first we'll talk about him just to kind of give you a character background. He um, was a pretty terrible guy. He was the king of Judea, which was um, approved by the Roman Senate. Um, He had put to death a couple of his own sons because he's such an insecure person. Um, he also put away one of his mother-in-laws. If there was anybody that looked like they'd be a threat to his kingship or anything, he would have them put to death and all of their family. And he was just a mean and brutal guy. Even Augustus wrote about him and, um, Flavius Josephus, he was a historian that we kind of mentioned. He also talked about him. But Augustus had said that he'd rather be a pig in Herod's house than one of his sons. Uh, Kind of implicating that basically the risk of death was less being a pig than one of his sons. Um, So that just kind of shows you like how brutal and like insecure and mean this guy is. So then we have the wise men, right? So these guys crossed paths, and this is how it happens. So it's believed. So when Matthew writes about these wise men, the word he uses is the Magoi. So in the Persian um, Empire, years and years before these guys were alive, there was a guy named Daniel. And if you've read about him in the Bible, it is that guy, that same guy. And he was a prophet for God, and he also was given great representation in the Persian um, uh, government. And this government was in some ways kind of similar to the U.S. government in that it had the king, right, which is kind of similar or equivalent to the executive branch. But then there was another um, in in the next level of government, we have, like, um, the the House of, you know, you have the House of Representatives, and then you have, like, Senate, right? And so these, you had, like, with one of them, uh, it would be the House that had, like, people that were related to the royal house. And so these are all princes and things like that. But in the other side, the, the other branch, it was called the Magoy. And the Magoy had these wise men. And they were scholars, historians, theologians, scientists. I mean, you name it, right? And there was a guy that started this astrology religion, which these guys kind of adapted. And he actually had access to Daniel's writings years and years before and studied under Daniel. And So he was the one that kind of started some of this. So you would see how they would be looking for certain things in in the sky. And these guys were astrologists. Um, But when this sign appeared, this star appeared, they followed it to the west. So they came from the east. And there was a name that the Egyptians had for this star also, which was called like the Star of the Rising Prince which kind of meant like, um, you know, like a new king was, was being born, a change was coming. And um, these magi, uh, with their when they would have traveled, they would have traveled on horseback, um, not camel. And, and also, like, no one knows exactly how many there were. Um, but it would have been quite an entourage that came with them and quite a few guys, they believe. And, and so these, these, the entourage that would come with them, they also come with like, I mean, of course they have people that help take care of the animals and cook and those kinds of things, but also they'd come with their own security detail. Just like when the president travels, these guys would have their security detail. And it was very common that like they would have, there would be like two uh, different uh, kinds of cavalry. You had close Uh, battling. So these guys would carry lances or spears, and there'd be 111 of those and 111 of long-range archers. And these archers were so skilled that even the Roman Empire could never best them. Um, They would get into skirmishes, and these archers would get then they would fire and they would fire coming up onto the Romans and then they would turn before they were even within reach. And as they turned away, these guys could flip in their saddles and fire arrows as they went away. This is kind of where we hear the, the word, the term parting shot comes from It's these guys. So these guys uh, would have come with the wise men, with the wise guys. So all of these guys during this time in Herod's uh, kingdom, his most of his army is out fighting for the Roman Empire up north. They believe maybe towards Syria. And he like, so basically there's just been like a few mercenaries to kind of protect this little outpost. And all of a sudden, you know, th- these guys show up and it's like, hey, can we come in? We want to see the king. And I... I can imagine, like, Herod is a pretty brutal guy, right? And he's got quite a temper, but he plays it cool because it's very easy to see how outnumbered he is. So he lets them in, and he kind of has a private audience with the um, wise men, and they say, we're looking for the newborn king. Um, do you know anything about this? And Herod's kind of surprised, but he asks his his scholars or his wise men, what do you know about this? And so they cite scripture and in Matthew, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. But it says that the wise men, when they cite, um, the scriptures, they, they cite Micah five two and it says in Bethlehem in Judea, they said for what prophet, this is what the prophets wrote. Like this is where he'll be born. And he said, and, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities. Judah, for a ruler, will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people. And so this is where we see, like, all of a sudden, Herod's made aware. And he's trying to be cool about it, but he is a sneaky, sneaky and insecure guy. And so he lets them go because he doesn't have much choice. He's quite outnumbered, I think. Um, but he says, "Hey, if you find him, let me know where you find him, so I can worship too." So they do find him and they worship, but they and they bow down. But it says when they find the child, they bow down and they give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Which these gifts um, also have symbolic meanings. Um, obviously, gold for a king, um, and then some represent uh, a prince or or and a and a priest, and also some people have said how it's quite curious that even his death was paid for at his birth, um, because of these gifts. But the princes leave, or these wise men leave, and they before they go back. They have a dream and God warns them, don't go back and see that guy. And they go back a different way. Um, But also at that time, Jesus or Joseph is warned in a dream that he needs to take Mary and Joseph or Mary and Jesus, my goodness, and go to Egypt and, and hide away. Because after this, Herod decides because he can't find the child he decides to get rid of either, some people say it's male children, some say it's all children under two, so that he would not have that threat. Because we know what a brutal guy he is. He just wants to decimate anything that would get in his way. Um, So they hide there until um, God tells them it's okay to come back. And they settle in the town of Nazareth when they come back. And there, Jesus is raised from a boy into a man before he starts his ministry. And in his life, he would go on to um, perform many miracles, rescue many people, raise people from the dead, and eventually lay down his life, sinless, um, so that the rest of us would have a way back to God, to have a relationship with him. Um, And... I think this is why we find Christmas so important. It is a time of hope and a time of, a time of remembering uh, the redemption. Um, I hope that this would encourage you guys to go in and read. Uh, Matthew and Luke re- uh, talks about Christ's birth quite a bit. Um, but also I love the fact that there's a historical account also that um, shows what's in the Bible. So I hope you've enjoyed this story and I hope you enjoy your Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of you and we'll talk to you soon.